Tales of intrigue, adventure, and the mysterious occult that will stir your imagination and make your very blood run cold. This is Dark Adventure Radio Theater. Today featuring a special anthology episode, Bad Medicine. The literature of the macabre and horrific traverses that shadowy landscape between life and death. From the first days of the primitive medicine man, we have called on powers physical, pharmaceutical, and magical to heal and to stave off death. Although the doctors of our modern age can work miracles, the healer's art is an imperfect one, and the consequences of medicine gone wrong can be positively ghastly. Today we bring you three tales of horrific healing and bad medicine. Two by our listeners' favorite author, H.P. Lovecraft, and one by Lovecraft's favorite author, the incomparable Edgar Allan Poe. Can an aged physician keep death at bay in cool air? Will a determined mesmerist unlock the mystery of mortality in the facts in the case of M. Valdemar? And can an alienist free a young man crippled by horrifying memories in the picture in the house. But first, a word from our sponsor. Doctors and chemists dispense medicines, salves, and ointments that purport to be good for you. But are they? What goes into these secret and expensive concoctions? I don't know about you, but I prefer to know exactly what I'm ingesting. So when I feel dyspeptic, I reach for a tin of bile beans. No mysteries here, just healthful plant extracts with a pleasant licorice flavor. Not sure? Try a bile bean, and you'll briskly be better. Healthy and handy, bile beans harness wholesome happiness. Have a handful today. And now, for the first act of our terrifying trilogy. Dark Adventure Radio Theater presents H.P. Lovecraft's Cool Air. blessed there shall no one come to harm thee not shall ever break thy rest fear thou nothing may 
happy slumber, angels watching over you. How is he? Sonia, my God, it's hot as blazes in here. How can Be you... quiet, Edwin. He's sleeping. Let me turn off the radiator. Don't touch it. All right, then I'll... What are you doing? I'm going to open the window. No, Edwin, don't. Don't. Leave it closed. But he's been burning up with fever. At least let me take these blankets off. No, don't touch him. Sonia. <coughs> Our little Jack. I can't... I can't bear to lose another one. We must have courage. I know what's best for him. Warmth is what he needs. Sonia, please, you're only going to make yourself sick, too. You both need fresh air. No! No more cold. What is wrong with you? Why are you so afraid of a little cool air? It's... I know what I'm doing. Do you? How? I knew a doctor once when I first moved to the city. Really? Yes. It's the year before we met. 1923. I had finally secured some work writing for a sob story magazine. It wasn't much of a job and the pay was meager, of course, so I had a very hard time finding a decent place to live. <laughs> Not much has changed. My job is... Uh... Oh, no. Everything has. I finally found a boarding house on West 14th Street... It was a little less disgusting than the others I could afford. It was quiet, but owned by a rather difficult Spanish woman, Mrs. Herrero. Uh, Miss Moore, you make me come all the way up here. Uh, I come for the rent. My apologies. I had meant to drop it by your... I take it now. Yes, and um, here's the thing. I have the rent through this week, but I don't have the rest of the months just yet. Here you go. You pay the rest Monday. One dollar extra. A dollar? Interest. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, all right. Very well. Thank you, Mrs. Herrero. There you go. Oh, uh, before you go, I wanted to ask you, there's something dripping from my ceiling. Huh? Sure. There. You see the mark on the ceiling? It's dripping, and if you smell it... Ah! Dios mio! It's, uh, rather unpleasant. Dr. Munoz. He spilled his chemicals. Oh, he is too sick for the doctor himself. Sicker and sicker all the time, but he... Uh, he no see no doctor. He's the one just above me? I've never seen him. Ah, he stay all the times in his room... My boy Esteban bring him food and laundry, medicines, and this... Uh... Ammonia. Hmm. Ugh. What's wrong with him? How do I know? My father go rest his soul in Barcelona. He say he was great doctor, famous. Three months ago, he fixed on for plumber when he is hurt. He what did you say his name was? Dr. Munoz. This doctor was living in a cheap boarding house? What kind of a doctor was he? Yes, I wondered that too at first. But there's a certain amount of pathos in the state of an eminent person who has come down in the world. Oh, please. Sonia, we... No, listen. He saved my life. What? How? One night I was working frantically on an impossible deadline. A heat wave. Oh, I hadn't slept. Coffee and cigarettes and coffee. 
felt this sudden pain in my chest. You know, both my parents died of heart failure. Doctors had warned me my heart was weak. I remembered what the landlady had said about Dr. Munoz helping that plumber, so I staggered up the stairs to his door. Hello? <sighs> Dr. Munoz? Yes? Who is it? My name is Sonia Moore. I live downstairs. I think I'm having a heart... Miss here, take my hand. Come in. Let me help you. There we are. Yes, sit here. Easy now. Thank you. No need for that just now, young lady. Let me see here. Be still. I touch your wrist, yes? Yes. I see. Yes. You are having trouble breathing. Uh, yes, a little. Oh, I feel dizzy. And you have pain. Where is it, please? Oh, here. Not in your arms? No. In your uh, neck or jaw? No. Good. I see what's happened here, young friend. I feel so cold. Am I dying? <laughs> Not just yet. I think we can stave that off for a few more decades. Maybe more. But for today, let us calm your heart, yes? Oh, my heart. My doctor says... I am your doctor now. But my heart... Yes, it is under great strain, but you've come to the right place. I, I don't want to die. You are not going to die here. Death knows he is not welcome in my home. Lift up your arm, like that. I listen with my stethoscope, yes? All right. Death, he knows we are the bitterest of sworn enemies. Breathe in. I have spent my fortunes in a lifetime of experiment devoted to death's bafflement and extirpation. It has cost me many friends also. Now cough. Your heart is weak, miss, it must be said, but do not be afraid. It's not the most important thing that keeps us alive. It's, it's not? The heart? <laughs> Heavens no. A brilliant mechanical pump, yes, it is that. But the will and consciousness, these are stronger than organic life. What do you mean? If a bodily frame is healthy and carefully preserved, one may enact scientific enhancement upon these qualities so as to retain a kind of nervous animation despite the most serious impairments, defects, or even the absence of organs. I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> well, do not worry too much about your heart, my young friend. Someday I might teach you to live without any heart at all. But that's for another day. Today you need rest. You work too hard, I think. I hear your typewriter late into the night. You rest here now while I step into my laboratory and prepare a compound for you. Oh. Oh, I still feel so cold. Forgive me. That's not you. It is my absorption cooler, a machine of my own design. I fear I... I'm myself afflicted with the complication of maladies requiring a very exact regimen which includes constant cold. Any marked rise in temperature might, if prolonged, affect me fatally. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's that apparatus there? Is the ammonia part of it somehow? Just so. 
You see, ammonia has a very low boiling point, which makes it an effective refrigerant. This machine keeps my rooms between 55 and 56 degrees Fahrenheit. Amazing. I hear the engine in my room sometimes. I hope it is not a bother. <laughs> well, no more than my typewriter. <laughs> what a pleasure to find a refined and sensitive soul in this squalid domicile. Your presence reminds me of happier days. Here, take this and then sip the tea slowly. How are you feeling, young lady? Much better. I, I don't know how to thank you. I think you saved my life. It is good you came when you did. Your heart needs discipline. You'll want to take uh, some of this powder in warm water every eight hours. And come see me tomorrow evening. You smoke? Hardly. No more than a pack a day. Mm, no more cigarettes. But my doctor says fleur-de-lis are good for me. Ah, ah. Right. <laughs> You're my doctor now. Soon we will bring you permanent improvement. Can you stand? Yes. Good. Head downstairs and get some sleep. He saved me, Edwin. Geez, Sonia. How come you've never told me any of this before? Oh, he was a remarkable man. An elegant face with a short iron-gray beard and an old-fashioned pince-nez. Oh, always impeccably dressed. He was the picture of striking intelligence and superior breeding. Wait a minute. Were you, like, sweet on this guy? Is that what... No! Oh, God, no. I mean, he was kind to me, but he was old, and... There was something about him that... Oh, oh maybe it was the uh, coldness of his touch. Probably that cold room. No. No, it was more than that. I can't quite describe it. Whatever his affliction was, he trembled slightly, and his touch was oh, sort of ghastly. But he helped you get better. He did. He compounded medicines, gave me exercises, and soon I felt better than I had in years. I was so grateful, I rather became his devotee. I see. I don't think you do. I'd pay him frequent visits in my winter coat. The rarest volumes of my collection were... Sadly sold to the highest bidder back in Spain. But there were some volumes that I simply could not bear to part with. Thus, this small sampling of my old library has remained with me. This book looks ancient. May I touch it? Yes, of course. Ah, the Book of the Arab. Oh, this is Latin, right? Yes, the Gradibus. Translated by Gerard of Cremona in the 12th century from the original by the Arab Al-Kindi. In the ninth century, he's the first physician we know who applied mathematics to pharmacology by quantifying the strength of drugs. Amazing! Oh, look at these tables and charts! A remarkable work. Roger Bacon, a medieval scholar, thought that Alkindi's method of computing the strength of a drug was extremely difficult to use. But I would say, once you get used to it, it's indispensable. Wait... You use a medieval book to make your medicines? My dear Miss Moore, one of the greatest failings of the present is its refusal to learn from the past. But shouldn't science be modern, to use the newest learning and techniques? There's a place for that. But I, for one, do not scorn the incantations of the medievalists. 
Among these cryptic formulae are rare psychological stimuli, which may have singular effects on the substance of a nervous system from which organic pulsations have fled. Fled? Do you mean on someone who's... I had a learned colleague back in Valencia, Dr. Del Toro. He and I conducted just such experiments, the results of which I can assure you were quite extraordinary. Are you saying what I think you're saying? There was a time, some 18 years ago, when my own health fell to a precarious state. My venerable colleague went to extraordinary lengths and used archaic processes to prolong my life. Oh, I see. And in a crowning irony, no sooner had he saved me than poor Guillermo succumbed to the grim enemy he had fought. I learned so much from him, Edwin. I even wrote a story involving his strange alchemy. I sold it to Astonishing Tales. But as I spent more time with him, I could see his physical condition was deteriorating. Sounds like he needed a doctor himself. He wouldn't hear of it. So I took care of him. Oh, he was so alone. His voice weakened, he trembled more. His mind displayed less resilience and initiative. How old did you say he was? He never... Oh, it was more than just old age. He developed strange caprices. He had the landlady's son bring exotic spices and Egyptian incense till his room smelt like the vault of a pharaoh. He wrote and studied his old books with a new kind of mania, and his need for cold air increased. He had me help him adjust his cooling system until he could keep the temperature as low as 34 degrees or colder. Good Lord, that's like a meat locker. Maybe the cold was actually hurting him. I mean, is that why you... It was a vital part of the treatment. But a kind of growing horror seemed to possess him. You've always hated the cold. Why, why didn't you get out of there? He saved my life. I couldn't abandon him. Everyone else did. Ah, Miss Moore, you come back. I need to talk to you about the doctor. <sighs> what is it, Mrs. Herrero? What is in this box? You buy him food? It's chemicals he ordered for his baths. He doesn't eat much these days. You need to do something about this smell. Other tenos complain. Yes, yes, I'll see what I can do. Too much coal from machine. Too much chemicals. You need bring a doctor to him. I know, but he refuses to see one. Perhaps you can send Esteban to... No, no. I tell him he is not to talk to Dr. Munoz no more. The devil is about him. You... You talk to him. Like I said, I'll do what I can. He takes his baths, he writes long letters. Ah, he is go mad in the head. I pray for him. <laughs> you do that. Thank you, Mrs. Herrero. <sighs> Doctor, oh, it's me. Just you. Not death knocking at my door. <sighs> Just me. And the chemicals you ordered. Oh. I see you haven't eaten. There are other things I must attend to. I need you to promise me that you'll post these letters for me, should the reaper... You need to eat. I don't, actually. The will, young lady, is what matters. Remember that. You'll post these letters. Promise me. Ooh, yes. What do you want me to do with these? Put them in the bath by the tub. Then you should go. All right. 
Mrs. Herrero says... What she says is of no matter to anyone. There are more important forces at work here. Go, please. How long did this go on? (sighs) Until the fall. One night, about 11, the pump of the refrigerating machine broke down. Dr. Munoz summoned me by thumping on the floor. I tried to repair it while he fretted and cursed. I didn't really know what I was doing, so I went out and found a mechanic from a neighboring all-night garage. Wish I had better news, lady, but that thing ain't gonna run without a new piston. What's the fastest we could get a replacement? The fastest? It's not like you can run down the gimbals. A machine shop might be able to make one, but they won't be open till morning, you know? Damnation! I, I cannot wait! Don't upset yourself. You know it's not good for you. Your eyes! My God, they're... Ah, I can't see! Help me to the bath! Take my arm. Here. This way. Do you, you want me to... No! Get out! I can manage from here. Yikes! What's the matter with him? He's very ill. It better not be contagious. No, it's not. Well, sorry, miss. There's nothing I can do. You know, it's the middle of the night. I, I understand. It's just that the temperature's rising. Rising? It, it's the middle of October. It's like 45 degrees outside. Listen, he has money. Go to the machine shop and bring the part back here as fast as you can, please. Sorry, honey. My shift ended 20 minutes ago. I've been on all night. It's a matter of life and death. Look, I'm sorry about your grandpa or whatever. But hey, show any decent fabricator or machine shop the bent piston. They should be able to tool you a new one. They'll be open in a few hours. But... I gotta get out of here. I can't take the smell anymore. I, I mean, come on. Good luck to you. What did you do? I went out and got ice. I made trips to all-night drugstores and cafeterias and brought back all I could find, all I could carry. Just you? I had to leave it outside his bathroom door. He wouldn't let me see him. Here's five more pounds. You want... What about the piston? The sun had risen and the temperature was rising. I needed to keep ice coming, but I needed the piston too. I found a seedy-looking loafer on the corner of 8th Avenue and paid him to keep bringing ice from a little shop while I tried to find a pump piston and hire workmen who could install it. Did you find one? Oh, it was a nightmare. I telephoned, I went all over town by subway and surface car until finally, about noon, I found a suitable supply house way downtown and returned with a necessary part and two mechanics to install it. I had done all I could, and I hoped I was in time. What happened? Miss Moore, where you go? I smell. Dios mio, you go crazy and run away. Dr. Munoz? No, the man you pay for bring ice. What? He come in with ice, second time, and take off. But then I hear him yell, and he come run out like he see the devil himself. When was this? Hours ago. Oh, my God. Come on, men, follow me. I ran upstairs, followed by the workman I'd hired. The hall door was locked. The Iceman couldn't have locked it behind him, could he? No. It was fastened from the inside. Dr. Munoz? Shh! Listen! Ish. Sounds like what you need is a plumber, lady. I'm a machinist. Do you even know the difference? Yeah. You're not a locksmith, either. But can you get this door open for me? You no break my door. 
I have key. You take. Oh! Oh, que alor malo! <gasps> oh, my God! What was it? The south room blazed with the sun of early afternoon. I'd never felt his room so warm. A kind of dark, slimy trail led from the open bathroom door to the desk where a terrible little pool had accumulated. Pool of... Something was scrawled there in pencil. In an awful blind hand on a piece of paper hideously smeared as though by the very claws that traced the hurried last words. Then the trail led to the couch and ended unutterably. You found him? What was or had been on the couch, I... I can't describe. The landlady and the mechanics ran out of that hellish place to babble their incoherent stories at the nearest police station. I've never spoken of it to anyone until now. For me, the horror was in the words scrawled on that horribly stained bit of paper on the desk. Sonia, this is crazy. Why are you telling me this horrible story? What does any of it have to do with our boy? We need to call a proper doctor. And pay him with what, Edwin? Sob stories? Your big salary? We can't afford it! But he has diphtheria. We can't... Oh, oh Edwin! Don't you see? It's not diphtheria. Not anymore. What do you mean by that? I didn't know what else to do. Jack was dying. The diphtheria poison had already spread. I, I thought if I could... Jack, my little... Oh, my God. Sonia. What is that thing? What have you done to our boy? Dr. Munoz cured me. I was sure I could use his methods as a... I read all his ancient books, all his letters. I, I I thought I knew what to do. I realize now that I shouldn't have burned them all, but at the time I... What? Sonia, what have you done? I thought I could save him. Oh, but he's just a little boy. He doesn't have the will. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jack! <laughs> Cover him up, darling. <laughs> the best we could do for him now. What he needs now is warmth. Like Dr. Munoz wrote to me that final day. The end is here. No, no more ice. The man looked and ran away. Warmer every minute and the tissues can't last. I fancy you know what I said about the will and the nerves and the preserved body after the organs ceased to work. It was a good theory, but it couldn't keep up indefinitely. There was a gradual deterioration I had not foreseen. Dr. Del Toro knew, but the shock killed him. He couldn't stand what he had to do. He had to get me in a strange, dark place when he minded my letter and nursed me back. And the organs would never work again. It had to be done my way. Artificial preservation. For you see, I died that time, 18 years ago. 
for our second act. We bring you Edgar Allan Poe's The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar. You might have heard something of it before. It excited discussion in newspapers across the globe. The shocking and disturbing revelations were so troubling that those involved were quickly brought before the highest authorities of the medical establishment. For the record, this emergency hearing of the New York State Medical Board is now called to order. Present are... Uh, if, if I Wait might... your turn, sir! In attendance are Dr. Eustace Watkins, Dr. Elmer Hogg, Dr. Travis Dixon, and Professor Emeritus Maurice Fleischman. Is this committee prepared to begin, Dr. Watkins? We are. I am Dr. Dwight R. Turnbull, presiding. The proceedings are being recorded by stenographer Gretchen Ruha. We are assembled to review the facts in the case of M. Valdemar and his attending physician, Dr. Michael Quinlan. Our purpose today is to evaluate purported breaches in ethical conduct on the part of Dr. Quinlan. Now then, Dr. Quinlan, there are rumors of a disturbing nature swirling about. You are called before this panel to provide a clear and direct account of this case. I am prepared and uh, eager to do so. May I remind you that providing false or misleading information during this hearing will result in the revocation of your license to practice medicine. I understand, sir. If I may, I'd like to offer these documents to the panel. What are they? The notes of uh, Mr. Lionel, documenting the proceedings. You kept notes? You've been careful. Standard procedure, sir. Besides, I wouldn't want the board to base its decision on rumors. Lionel, wasn't he the medical student who assisted you? It's my understanding he attempted to dissuade you from undertaking this dubious endeavor. Uh, that's not quite how I'd describe it, but yes, uh, Mr. Lionel was there at the beginning. We discussed the unique issues involved in this case. You're fooling yourself, Dr. Quinlan. So you've said. Wasting your time. Mm. It can't be done. No one's ever done such a thing. <laughs> My dear Mr. Lionel, what kind of medical student are you? The same can be said of every experimental surgical procedure, every new treatment. It's through such experiments that medicine, that science itself advances. Don't go trying to sell this as science, man. This is... Witch doctory, bohemian quackery. It's Are you suggesting that mesmerism is not real? Well, I... Shall I put you in a mesmeric trance right now? Leave you catatonic in the ladies' powder room again? That won't be necessary. I'm not disputing that there's something there, but this is beyond the pale. It's science, that's all. No person has ever been mesmerized in articulo mortis. Think of what we could learn. Whether a patient on the verge of expiring has any susceptibility to the magnetic influence, whether it is impaired or increased by the condition, and to what extent or for how long a period the encroachments of death might be arrested by the process. And that's just the beginning. You're mad. Who? Who would allow you to induce a mesmeric trance just as they're dying? I'm glad you asked. I've found a volunteer. We're going to go meet him. You're, you're going through with it. Who is he? My friend. M. Ernest Valdemar of Harlem. An excellent subject, actually. The writer? Yes. He has a very nervous temperament. Perfect for the work. You've mesmerized him before? Oh, a few times. I put him to sleep with little difficulty, but was disappointed in other results. His will was at no period positively or thoroughly under my control, and in regard to clairvoyance, his reactions could not be relied upon. But I believe those failures are due to the disordered state of his health. Why? What's wrong with him? Mm, confirmed thesis. Poor fellow. 
Well, yes, but his impending death is perfect. I told him of my idea. He had no philosophic objections and no relatives who would be likely to interfere. He was vividly excited about it, and his disease allows for fairly exact calculation of the time of death. You're insane, both of you. I mean, you call yourself a doctor. Really, the state medical board calls me that. Here, this note came this morning. Read it and put on your coat. My dear Dr. Quinlan, you may as well come now. Dunham and Fenwick are agreed that I cannot hold out beyond tomorrow midnight, and I think they have hit the time very nearly. Valdemar. We don't have much time. Come on. Why didn't you treat your patient in an accredited hospital, Quinlan? Was it to avoid supervision? No, Dr. Turnbull. The patient expressed a wish to die in the comfort of his own bed. Enter. Good evening, Dr. Dunham. Dr. Fenwick? Oh, it's you. I think you gentlemen know Mr. Lionel. He's in his third year. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Gentlemen? Quinlan, you got my note. Would that it were under better circumstances. And uh, this is... Uh... Lionel, yes. I heard. You're looking... well. Ah, you amuse, Quinlan. <laughs> <laughs> but not to worry. These two assure me my end is nigh. Ah, uh, Mr. Lionel, would you mind sitting for a moment with our patient while I have a word with the doctors? Not at all. A pleasure to make your acquaintance. <laughs> Gentlemen, you're confident Valdemar's death is imminent? Are you blind, Quinlan? His face is leaden. The eyes utterly lustreless. His emaciation is now so extreme that his cheekbones are breaking through the skin. His pulse is barely perceptible. All the same, he seems surprisingly alert and energetic. The left lung has been in a semi-osseous state for months. The upper portion of the right is also partially ossified, while the lower region is merely a mass of purulent tubercles, and there is at least one permanent adhesion to the ribs. These changes in the right lobe are of recent date. There were no signs of ossification in my examination a month ago. The adhesion appears to have manifested during the past three days. Independent of the phthisis, I suspect an aneurysm of the aorta, but the osseous symptoms have precluded an exact diagnosis. How long do you think he has? It's, what, 7.15 on Saturday? <laughs> I'd wager he'll be done by midnight tomorrow. I'll take your wager. There's really nothing left for us to do but bid him a final farewell. I'll attend to him now, if... If you'd be so kind, gentlemen, would you be willing to come back at ten tomorrow night to check on him? Why? What are you playing at, Quinlan? Uh, of course, if he's passed by then, I'll send word and spare you a trip. I suppose so, though I hardly see the point. Hmm. Shall we offer our farewell? Valdemar, Dr. Quinlan here has graciously agreed to tend to your last needs. I lament there's nothing left we can do for you. Courage, Valdemar, and prayer... Try to be at peace. Gentlemen, I thank you for your services, and my executor shall attend to your compensation. Very kind of you. Farewell, sir. Good riddance, those two. Mr. Valdemar here confirms he's quite prepared to undergo your experiment, Dr. Quinlan. Of course he is. For the sake of science, eh, Quinlan? <laughs> Mankind's quest for knowledge. So, uh, when do we begin? I fear if we begin too soon, the mesmeric effect may wear off before the actual onset of death. Let us plan for eight o'clock tomorrow. Uh, Lionel, you'll join us then? I'd like you to document the proceedings. Yes, of course. I'll stay with you until then, my old friend. I stayed the night with him and remained into the next evening. Hmm. 
That shows admirable devotion. Honestly, I was more devoted to the notion of my experiment. A patient like M. Valdemar does not come along often. Really now? I see. The following evening, uh, Lionel arrived shortly before eight. Ah, Lionel, thank God you're here. I was afraid you were going to miss it. How is he? Uh, no time for that. Quickly, get your pen and paper. Take this down. Uh, could you please give Mr. Lionel your statement? Let it hereby be known that I am entirely willing to be mesmerized. <coughs> I fear you have deferred it too long, Quinlan. No, no. Right on time. All you need do is relax and watch the motions of my hands. Good Lord. I still say it's hocus-pocus. The magnetic flow induced by the lateral motions worked well with him previously. Now, of course, he is in a weakened state. Check the pulse, will you? Weak, but present. What now? He's still alive. We have to wait. His condition deteriorated rather rapidly. Not surprising, given his diagnosis. What happened next, Quinlan? Just before ten, Fenwick and Dunham returned. Doctors, thank you for your punctuality. Is he still? Mm, just barely. You owe me a dollar. <gasps> yes, the death rattle. Won't be long now. Gentlemen, I have induced a preliminary mesmeric state in Valdemar. I propose to put him into a full mesmeric trance just before the moment of his final expiration. <laughs> At this point, I don't suppose it makes any difference what you do to him. The death agony is already underway. I have no objection. Could you note that in your account, Mr. Lionel? Valdemar, I want you to look directly into my eyes now. Watch, now I change to a downward gesture, like so. Decrease in stertorous breaths. Pulse, Lionel? I... I can't make out a steady beat. Not unusual at the time of passing, Mr. Lionel. The heart's actions become spasmodic, as does respiration. So what do we do now? We wait with him. Until the actual end. I I've been around cadavers, you know. I, I just haven't been with someone when they actually... Extremities. Cold to the touch. Come on now. Focus, Valdemar. Do you hear me? I say, Quinlan, what are you hoping he'll do? I just need an unequivocal sign that he's fully under the mesmeric influence. Ah! Oh! <gasps> there. You see the glassy roll of the eyes? You only see that in cases of sleepwalking and mesmerism. I'll endeavor now to close his eyes by my gesture. He's blinking. They're closed. Yes. Let's try one last thing to confirm. This gesture will instill a rigidity into the limbs. Doctors, will you flex the patient's arms at the elbows? N no! Fully inflexible, rigid. <clears throat> this side, too. You've done it, Quinlan. He appears to be in a full mesmeric trance. Well done, sir. Honestly, I can't believe the man's still alive. Fascinating! You look exhausted. Perhaps you should sit down, sir. It's been a long day. You should get some rest, Quinlan. I'll stay with your patient tonight. You come back in the morning. I went home for a few hours' rest, but I was eager to return to monitor Valdemar's condition. To see if this so-called mesmeric state persisted through the night? Precisely. Well, did it? Good morning, sir. Well, how is he? Much the same. No movement. Pulse still imperceptible. Breathing is faint, but present. 
The limbs are as rigid and as cold as marble. Well, let me see here. What's that you're doing? I move my arm gently to and fro above his in an effort to... He's moving! See there, his arm, back and forth! Great Scott! But how? Doesn't it require a suggestion? No, that's hypnotism. This isn't the same thing at all. This is a direct manipulation of the vital force. To what end? I'm hoping I can induce him to speak. Do you think that wise? Valdemar, are you asleep? Look, there's a slight tremor in his upper lip. Are you asleep? Valdemar, are you asleep? He's shivering. His eyes, they are... Yes. I sleep now. Do not wake me. Let me die so. Look, his limbs remain rigid, but the right arm still follows my movements. Do you still feel pain in your chest? No pain. I am Perhaps we should let him rest and see what... I came as soon as I could. Is he... See for yourself. Cold. No pulse. Hand me that mirror. <gasps> oh, faint respiration. The patient just spoke, sir. He didn't. He couldn't. I, I mean, this man? How? Quinlan's mesmeric influence. Quite astonishing. Do it again. I was thinking perhaps we should let him... Make him speak. Very well. Valdemar, do you still sleep? Yes. Still asleep. Dying. Oh, oh, oh. this is astonishing, Quinlan. I wouldn't have believed it had I not seen it with my own eyes. Should we... Perhaps... We should let him be. He's tranquil, and death should supervene in minutes. Yes, yes, of course. I'm sorry, but this might be our last chance. Valdemar, are you still sleeping? Doctor, he's... Lionel, take note. Eyes rolled open. Pupils disappeared upwardly. Skin assuming cadaverous hue. A color drained from cheeks, upper lip, pulled back from teeth in rictus. Lower jaw opened. Tongue blackened and swollen. I have witnessed hundreds of deaths, but that... I've never seen a death like it. Look at him. Positively ghoulish. Would anyone object if I cover the face with a sheet? As we can confidently say, Mr. Valdemar is dead. Yes, Lionel. Go ahead and... No! Stop! What? The tongue. It's moving! Oh, vibrating! I've... 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 Could he speak? What did he say? It's genuinely hard to describe. I, I might say, for example, that the sound was harsh and broken and hollow, but the hideous hole is indescribable for the simple reason that no similar sounds have ever jarred upon the ear of humanity. Don't be coy, Quinlan. We're professionals here. Come on, out with it, man. Well, there were two particulars which I thought then and still think might fairly be stated as characteristic of the intonation as well as adapted to convey some idea of its unearthly peculiarity. In the first place, 
The voice seemed to reach our ears, at least mine, from a vast distance or from some deep cavern within the earth. In the second place, it impressed me the way gelatinous or glutinous things impress the sense of touch. Good Lord. So he did speak. For lack of a better word. I have spoken both of sound and of voice. I mean that the sound was one of distinct, of even wonderfully, thrillingly distinct syllabification. M. Valdemar spoke, obviously in reply to the question I had asked him a few minutes before. Are you still sleeping? Well, what did he say? Yes. No. I have been sleeping. And now, now, I am dead. No person present even affected to deny or attempted to repress the shuddering horror which these few words thus uttered were so well calculated to convey. Mr. Lionel swooned. What about you, Dr. Quinlan? My own impressions to this day I cannot render intelligibly. For nearly an hour, uttering barely a word, we busied ourselves in endeavors to revive Mr. Lionel. Here, I have some ammonium carbonate. That should bring him around. <laughs> what? Pull yourself together, Mr. Lionel. But, but Valdemar, he spoke. Yes, we all heard it. But he was... We all agreed he was... M. Valdemar shows no evidence of a pulse. Nor is there any evidence of respiration. I tried to draw blood but could not. No circulation. His arm no longer responds to mesmeric control. So he's dead. Right? Yes. But no. Watch his tongue carefully. Valdemar, are you still sleeping? It moved. I just saw it. Yes. It's as if he's making an effort to reply, but no longer has sufficient volition. So he's not dead. He has neither pulse nor respiration, Mr. Lionel. What does your medical training tell you? This is not supposed to happen. Fascinating. Did he answer any of the questions? Not at this point. Nor was he responsive to questions from anyone but me. So none of your colleagues could independently confirm or replicate your results. Well, you'll see them confirmed in Mr. Lionel's notes, but the... Mesmeric link was clearly vital to his responsiveness. His condition appeared stable, and we all thought it best to leave him at rest while we grappled with the issues at play. Hm. More likely, you realized the kind of trouble you were in. We discussed the propriety and feasibility of awakening him. What good could come of that? Wouldn't he just have died immediately? Again? Exactly. It seemed to us that to awaken M. Valdemar at this point would lead to... Undesirable results. So, the rumors are true. You simply left him in this hellish limbo? The patient wasn't suffering, Turnbull. Let him... We did the best we could, sir, but... Yes. From this point until the close of last week, an interval of nearly seven months, we continued to make daily calls at M. Valdemar's house, accompanied now and then by medical and other friends, 
All this time, the sleeper-waker remained exactly as I have last described it. Seven months? Approximately. And he was both dead and alive all that time? He was both and neither. And then, on Friday last, we finally attempted to bring some resolution to the case. What exactly did you do, Quinlan? I performed one final experiment. It was the result of this experiment which has given rise to so much discussion and to so much of what I cannot help thinking unwarranted popular feeling. Unwarranted? Huh. Quinlan, you... So what was this experiment? We returned to his chamber, Fenwick, Dunham, Lionel, and I, to finally awaken M. Valdemar. Proceed, Dr. Quinlan. And that completes the customary passes. Would you note the time, please, Mr. Lionel? Seven minutes past eight in the evening. I'm seeing no change here. Damn it. Do it again. A third time. Perhaps after so many weeks, he just no, needs... No, it's time for something stronger. I'll attempt the Issachar configuration. Yes, keep going. The iris has just descended into view. Let me see. Yes. Yes. Oh... Oh, my. Oh, there's a profuse yellowish eye cord discharging from under the eyelid. Oh, God, the smell. Steady there. Just write it down. Noted. Try the movements of his arm again. Very well. Nothing so far. No. No. Ask him something. Valdemar, can you explain to us what are your feelings or wishes now? There's coloration in the cheeks. Tongue is quivering, rolling in the mouth. For God's sake. What do I do? Do something. We've got to end this. Wake him. Just break him out of the trance. Make the passes, damn it. Oh my god, he's moving. Possible. Sitting up. Don't touch me. Dad. Dad. What happened? We never expected. Somehow, Valdemar rose slightly from his recumbent position, his arm reaching for me. I, I, I frantically made the final mesmeric passes and his whole frame at once, within the space of a single minute or, or even less, shrunk, crumbled, absolutely rotted away beneath my hands. Upon the bed before that whole company there lay a nearly liquid mass of loathsome of detestable putridity. Good God, man! Dr. Quinlan, we've heard enough. This experiment of yours, it's well outside ethical and moral boundaries. Perhaps the boundaries of natural law. Your license to practice medicine in this state is hereby suspended, pending the final judgment of the board. We are adjourned. Uh, sir, if I may... Quiet! Miss Ruha, did you get all that down? Yes, Dr. Turnbull. Very well. You can go. Sir, it was science in its purest form. Uh, willing participants exploring the unknown in search of understanding. I shouldn't be... Quinlan, we're none of us children. Medicine isn't pretty. We understand that horrors must sometimes be endured in the name of progress. If only the public hadn't caught wind of it. 
Your little experiment isn't a problem. It's the reporting. What do you mean? The board cannot sit idly by. We must be seen to take action. The public demands it. But... Or you can make a public statement that this was all an elaborate hoax, and the board will issue a quiet rebuke in six months of probation. A hoax? It's the truth. The truth is a harsh and costly medicine, Quinlan. Sometimes the public is better served with cheap sugar pills. It, it was science. Documented facts. <laughs> oh, you can give all the facts you want. Facts and truth are not the same thing. I hope we'll all be reading about the hoax in tomorrow's paper. Gentlemen. Quinlan. Sir? If you try something like this again, I'd be interested in seeing the demonstration. A wise man once wrote, That is not dead which can eternal lie, And in strange eons even death may die. It's a pity that Quinlan and his associates Failed to heed that warning. But now, for our third and final act, We take you to yet another physician's office For H.P. Lovecraft's The Picture in the House. Hello, Eugene. How are you today? F fine. Good. Could you give me a full sentence, Eugene? I, I am fine, M Mrs. Hegarty. Thank you. Well done. Do you remember last week I mentioned I was going to have one of my colleagues join us? I'd like to introduce Dr. Hull. He's from Yale University. How do you do, young man? Uh, Hello. Rather than work on our speech exercises today, Eugene, Dr. Hull would like to talk to you about the incident. Will that be all right? Why? Excellent. Eugene, my research involves treating patients like you by examining the underlying issues in your unconscious mind. Events which you may not even remember can sometimes be the cause of a wide variety of symptoms, including yours. So, I'm going to use the process of hypnosis to try to help you remember exactly what happened in your bicycle accident. It was a bicycle accident, yes? Yes. And in revisiting that trauma through a hypnotic state, I hope to dislodge the cause of your stutter. And it won't take long, and it's not painful. Some patients report they rather enjoy the treatment. And do you have any questions? None that I, I can think of. Do you mind if Mrs. Hegarty stays with us and takes some notes? No. So you'll obviously want to be on the lookout for any subtle changes in Eugene's actual speech and whether reliving any particular moments impacts the severity of disfluency. Yes, Doctor. Comfortable, Eugene? Good. Now I'm going to make a fist with my left hand. Follow the movements of my fist with your eyes. Good. Now I want you to put your hand on top of my fist. Very good. Watch our hands move. It's warm in here, isn't it? That's good. Feel yourself relax. It's like you're going to sleep, but you will not be asleep. 
And now we lower our hands. Tell me your full name. Eugene Lawrence Crowley. And again, quickly this time. Eugene Lawrence Crowley. He's entered the hypnotic state. Remarkable. Eugene, I want you to remember the day of the accident. What day is it? November 22nd. What are you doing? I'm pedaling this blasted bicycle. Sounds difficult. Eugene, tell me, do you usually ride a bicycle in November? No. I've been visiting remote regions of the Miskatonic Valley. Why were you doing that? I'm seeking certain genealogical data. A bicycle seemed convenient despite the lateness of the season. Oh, this is amazing. I've never heard him able to... Shh. Eugene, tell me about this genealogical data. Generations of strange people have lived in New England, and the world has never seen their like. I'm studying them. I see. Their ancestors were seized with gloomy and fanatical beliefs which exiled them from their kind, and they sought the wilderness for freedom. There they flourished free from the restrictions of society, but cowered in slavery to the dismal phantasms of their own minds. Did he talk like this before the onset of the stutter? I didn't know him then. This is almost poetic. The strength of these Puritans turned into singular channels, and in their isolation and morbid self-repression they adopted dark, furtive traits. I have been traveling the rural roads because only the silent, sleepy houses in the backwoods can tell all that has laid hidden since the early days. Is there a specific house, Eugene? Indeed there is. Tell me about it. What do you see? There's a little unpainted wood house, remote from the road, leaning against some gigantic outcropping of rock. Two hundred years or more it must have been here, while the vines have crawled and the trees have swelled and spread. It is all but hidden now in lawless luxuriances of green and guardian shrouds of shadow. But the small-paned windows still stare shockingly, as if blinking through a lethal stupor which wards off madness by dulling the memory of unutterable things. Did you catch that? Unutterable. Yes. <clears throat> Where is this house? Do you know? It's the road to Arkham. I thought it would be a shortcut. A shortcut? Why do you need a shortcut? It started to rain. I'm soaked and so very cold. What do you do? I approached the house. I had somehow taken it for granted that it was abandoned, but now I'm not so sure. And how does that make you feel? I'm nervous. I don't want to go there. Mm. So why do you approach? Oh, I'm freezing. I've got to get out of the rain. I wheel my machine up to the closed door. I try the rusty latch and find the door unfastened. Inside is a little vestibule. The plaster is falling from the walls. Ahead rises a narrow staircase, flanked by a small door, probably leading to the cellar, while to the left and right are closed doors leading to rooms on the ground floor. I don't understand. This doesn't seem to be related to his accident. Sometimes the unconscious mind's journey to a place of pain is circuitous and oblique. 
we'll give him some more time. Very good, Eugene, but we need to get on to what's important. Oh, but this is important. I lean my cycle against the wall and open the door at the left. It appears to be a kind of sitting room. It has a table and several chairs and an immense fireplace. There's an antique clock on the mantel. Hmm. Archaism is displayed in every visible detail. Most of the houses in this region I have found rich in relics of the past, but here the antiquity is curiously complete. In all the room there is not a single article of definitely post-revolutionary date. If the furnishings were less humble, this place would be a collector's paradise. So you were happy to be in this house? Oh, no. The aversion I felt on seeing the bleak exterior of the house is now far worse. Something in the whole atmosphere seems redolent of unhallowed age, of unpleasant crudeness, and of secrets which should be forgotten. Wait. What's that? Yes? What do you see? There's a book. What is the book? Lying upon the table, medium-sized, but so ancient, like something from a museum or library. It's bound in leather with metal fittings, in an excellent state of preservation. And do you open the book? Oh, yes. Astonishing. It's Pigafetta's account of the Congo region, written in Latin from the notes of the sailor Lopez and printed at Frankfurt in 1598. I've never heard of it. Oh, I have. It's famed for its curious illustrations by the brothers Debris. The engravings were drawn wholly from imagination and careless descriptions. The picture of the zebra is almost comical. It... <gasps> Eugene, what's wrong? The way it opens, it's... The volume persistently falls open at plate 12. That's a picture? What is it? It shows in gruesome detail a butcher's shop of the Enzike. The drawing is disturbing. Especially in connection with some adjacent passages describing Enzike gastronomy. Enzike? Have you heard of... Mm, yes. A tribe of cannibals, I think. Oh, my. I turn away to a neighboring shelf. An 18th century Bible. A pilgrim's progress of like period. The rotting bulk of Cotton Mather's Magnalia Christi Americana. When... What is it you... Shh! Overhead... Someone's coming. You're perfectly safe here. Relax and tell me what you see, Eugene. There's a person. What does this person look like? He's just stepped into the room. Old. White-bearded and ragged. His height could not be less than six feet. And despite his age and poverty, he is stout and powerful in proportion. His face is almost hidden by a long beard which grows high on his cheeks but seems abnormally ruddy and less wrinkled than one might expect. Over a high forehead falls a shock of white hair, little thinned by the years. His eyes, blue though a trifle bloodshot, seem inexplicably keen and burning. But, my lord, the smell! What is he doing? He's motioning me to a chair. He's sitting down opposite me for conversation. Catched in the rain, be ye. Glad ye was nigh the house. Had the sense to come right in. 
I calculate I was asleep. Else I ain't ain't as young as I used to be, and I need a powerful sight of naps nowadays. Traveling, sir, I ain't seen many folk along this road since they took off the Arkham stage. I I was going to Arkham. I I apologize for my rude entry into your home. Oh, glad to see ye, young sir. No faces is scarce round here, and I ain't got much to cheer me up these days. Guess you hail from Boston, don't ye? Uh, I've never been there. But I can tell a town man when I see him. We had one for district schoolmaster in uh, 84. But he quit sudden. <laughs> and no one never heard on him since. He seems to be in an unaboundingly good humor, amused by something. For some time he rambles on with an almost feverish geniality, and finally I dare to ask him. Excuse me, sir, but I saw your book. I can't help but wonder how you came by so rare a book as Pigafetta's Regnum Congo. Oh, that Afriki book! Captain Ebenezer Holt traded me that in, um, 68. Him that was killed in the war. Ebenezer Holt? You know the name. I've encountered it in my genealogical work, but not in any records since the Revolution. Aye. Ebenezer was on a Salem merchantman for years and picked up a, a sight of queer stuff in every port. He got this in London, I guess. He used to buy things in the shops. I was up to his house once, on the hill, trading horses. When I see this book, I relish the pictures. So he he give it on uh, in a swap. Uh, Tis a queer book. Here, leave me get my spectacles. The old man fumbles among his rags, producing a pair of dirty and amazingly antique glasses. He dons them and reaches for the volume on the table, turning the pages lovingly. Ebenezer could read a little of this. Tis Latin. But I can't. I had two or three schoolmasters read me a bit. And Parson Clark, him, they say, got drowned in the pond. <laughs> Can you make anything out in it? Um, well, I could try. Let me see here. I do my best, but if I err, he is not scholar enough to correct me. I'm amused at the childish fondness of this ignorant old man for the pictures in a book he cannot read. Realizing he could probably not read his English books either removed much of the ill-defined apprehension I had felt. Queer how pictures can set a body thinking. Take this one here near the front. Have you ever seen trees like that with big leaves and uh, flopping over and down? And them men... Them can't be Negroes. They do beat all. Kinda like Indians, I guess. Even if they be in Africa. Some of these here creatures look like monkeys or, or half monkeys and half men. But I never heard of nothing like this one. He's pointing to a fabulous creature of the artist which one might describe as a sort of dragon with the head of an alligator. But now, I'll show ye. The best done, over here, near the middle. The old man's eyes assume a brighter glow. The book falls open almost of its own accord to that picture. 
the repellent twelfth plate showing the butcher's shop amongst the Anzique cannibals. The limbs and quarters hanging about the walls of the shop are ghastly, while the butcher with his axe is hideously incongruous. But my host seems to relish the view as much as I dislike it. What do you think of this? Never see the likes hereabouts, eh? When I see this, I tell Ebholt, there's something to stir ye up and make your blood tickle. When I read in scripture about slaying, like them Midianites was slew, I kind of think things, but I ain't got no picture of it. Here a body can see all there is to it. I suppose it is sinful, but ain't we all born living in sin? That fellow being chopped up gives me a tickle every time I look at him, and I have to keep looking at him. See where the butcher cut off his feet? Oh, there's his head on the bench, with one arm side of it, and the other arm on the ground side of the meat block. <laughs> Eugene, Eugene, are you frightened? You're perfectly safe here. He's mumbling on in a shocking ecstasy, and the expression on his hairy, spectacled face is indescribable. All of the terror I had dimly felt before rushes upon me actively and vividly, and I know that I loathe this ancient and abhorrent creature with an infinite intensity. His madness or his partial perversion seems beyond dispute. As I says... "'Tis queer how pictures such a thinking. "'Do you know, young sir, I'm right sot on this one here. "'After I got the book off him, I used to look at it a lot, "'especially when I, I heard Parson Clark rant on Sundays in his big wig. "'Once I tried something funny.' Ah, "'It's all right, Eugene.' "'Doctor, he... "'No, no. Hey, young sir, don't get scared. "'All I done was to look at it.' At the picture afore I killed the sheep for market. Killing sheep was kind of more fun after looking at it. Killing sheep was kind of more fun, but you know, it wasn't quite satisfying. Queer how a craving gets a hold of you. As ye love the almighty young man, don't tell nobody, but I swear to God, that picture begun to make me. Hungry for victuals I couldn't raise nor buy. Here, sit still. What's ailing ye? I didn't do nothing. Only wonder how it would be if I did. They say meat makes blood and flesh and gives you new life. So I wondered if it wouldn't make a man live longer and longer if it was more the same. Is he all right, Doctor? Should you bring him out? No, no. I think we're nearing the crux of his trauma. Uh, uh, Eugene, tell me what you see. The open book lies flat between us with the picture staring repulsively upward. As he whispers the words, more the same, I hear a tiny spattering impact, and something shows on the yellowed paper of the upturned volume. It's raining, so I think of a leaky roof, but rain is not red. Red? What do you mean, red? On the butcher's shop of the Enzike cannibals, a small red spattering glistens picturesquely, lending vividness to the horror of the engraving. My God, Doctor, are you sure this is helping him? Susan, please. The old man sees it and stops whispering. 
sees it and glances quickly toward the floor of the room where he'd left an hour before. I follow his glance, and there, there! What's there, Eugene? Oh, my God! Just above us on the loose plaster of the ancient ceiling, a large, irregular spot of wet crimson which seems to spread even as I view it. What do you do, Eugene? What happens? What ails you, young sir? I should go. There's a storm and blood weather fit for man or beast. A best if ye waited out. Thank you, but no, I, I should go. Now what kind of a host would I be if I let ye ride out in that storm? Please, sir, step aside. I can make us tea. A pittance. No, please, I I'd just like to leave. You shall not. He's blocking the door. There's no way I can pass. I run for the back of the house. He'll hurt himself. No, let him flail. Here now. Through the kitchen. The back door. Must not stop to see what that kitchen contains. I run outside. The old man in close pursuit. Cold rain pelting down. I, I, I can't make it far on foot. Come back in. We'll be the death of ye. Just ahead. What is it? An old barn. A dilapidated barn. I, I must run, must get away. I wouldn't take shelter there now. So dim inside. So dim I can barely make it out. My eyes adjust. No. <laughs> no. What do you see, Eugene? It's the butcher shop of the cannibals. Actualized in a squalid New England barn. Cutting tables with dried blood and meat hanging from hooks. Cuts of meat that could only come from one source. He's coming. Twisted joy written on his face. Coming out of the house with an ancient axe slung over his shoulder. I, I can't move. I try to yell for him to stop, but... The words... Won't... I know. Tis best if in ye don't fuss. Dr. Hull, I must insist. Yes, all right. Eugene, you're safe here. You made it to safety. You got away. The bolt hit the axe. Burned hair. Bicycle. I have to find my bicycle. You found it, didn't you? Back in the house. Yes. Right. Through, th through the rain. Mud. Miles. And that's when you crashed. They found you there with your bicycle. Yes. Oh, my word, Doctor. That can't have been real, can it? Eugene, what happened to you at that house is no longer important to you. You're going to forget completely about that house. When you wake up, you'll only remember that you crashed your bicycle. You won't need to be afraid anymore. The book! There will be no book. You saw no picture in the house. 
You will have no memory of that place. You will have no recollection of me or this conversation. Now, put your hand on mine again. Good. Now, I'm going to raise it up, and you're going to feel awake and refreshed. <sighs> How are you feeling, young man? Okay, I, I guess. Can you tell me anything about the experience, Eugene? When will, will we start? You've been listening to Bad Medicine, a special anthology episode of Dark Adventure Radio Theater, brought to you by our sponsor, Bile Beans. Don't rely on dubious concoctions sold under the guise of medicine. Buy Bile Beans today. I'm Creighton Cobb. Until next week, this is Dark Adventure Radio Theater, reminding you to never go anywhere alone. If it looks bad, don't look and save the last bullet for yourself. Bad Medicine was adapted for radio and produced by Sean Branny and Andrew Lehman and based on The Facts in the Case of M. Baldemar by Edgar Allan Poe and Cool Air and the Picture in the House by H.P. Lovecraft. Original music by Reber Clark. The Dark Adventure Ensemble featured Sean Branny, Casey Camp, Matt Foyer, Andrew Lehman, Jacob Lyle, Barry Lynch, John A. McKenna, David Paveo, Kevin Stidham, Josh Temke, Sarah Vanderpool, and Time Winters. Tune in next week for The Whispering Newts of Sambongo, a tale of amphibians gone amok in exotic Ceylon. Dark Adventure Radio Theater is a production of the HPLHS Broadcasting Group, a subsidiary of HPLHS Incorporated, copyright 1931, plus 87. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.